0: And I'm not going to say that's all that matters, but that matters, doesn't it? You're here, and and that's great. Uh, Let's uh, go to your sermon section or your uh, app if you've got it open. Let's get ready to study the Word of God together. I am in what appears to be an endless series (laughs) Uh, on the kingdom of God. We're talking about reigning with the king. Talk to you about uh, the earthly arm of the kingdom. That's what we're living in. Talk to you about the power of the kingdom, the righteousness of the kingdom, the battle of the kingdom is fighting. And today I want to talk to you about the kingdom's earthly value, the value of the kingdom of God on earth. And to do this, I'd like to go to Matthew chapter 13 and begin with verse 44. You got it? You got it? Ooh, it's going to be a rough crowd today. God is good. <laughs> if I was blind, I'd think I was alone. Here we go. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, maybe underline those next three words, in his joy, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. This is what the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you'll open your mind, you'll begin to see something about this mysterious kingdom that we who have been born again are living in and enjoying the presence of God. So there's three things about this metaphor. Sometimes I talk a while before we take notes. Not today. Three things about this metaphor. Number one, the word pictures reveal what the kingdom of heaven is like. These word pictures, this field and these pearls, reveal something about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And when we read these three passages, I think God wants us to stop and ponder for a moment, what am I supposed to learn about the kingdom from these stories? Have you ever wondered why God gave us the Bible? you ever wondered why did the Lord go to all the trouble of inspiring all the writers and then go through all that it took to put the Bible together to canonize the scripture and now you have a why did God do that because you have If you are born again, if you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of the living God is in you. And in theory, the Holy Spirit in you should be able to guide you into all truth. So what do you need your Bible for? Why has God put this in our hands? You see, even with the Spirit within us, we need the written Word of God as an absolute, tangible source of truth as we say amen. Even with the Spirit of God in you, you need the Word of God as a tangible source of infallible truth. Amen. Amen. In fact, I think one of the most dangerous things that we can do is form a belief without consulting the Scripture. There's a good place for an amen right there. One of the most dangerous things we can do is form a belief without consulting the Scripture. Have you ever been talking to someone who didn't know their Bible that well? Anybody? And as they were telling you their beliefs and their convictions, you just knew they were walking out on a limb and you were starting to saw You know, man, I've got enough Scripture that I'm I'm about to really put something on you that's going to absolutely break that limb and you're going to come crashing down with it. We can form beliefs and we can hang on to beliefs and, and we can live and die for beliefs and debate about beliefs, but the truth is, do those beliefs rest in Scripture? Do they have a foundation in God's infallible Word? Do they? Do you believe Scripture? Do you believe that there is an irreplaceable purpose for Scripture? Amen. Now, with that in mind, listen very carefully. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Remember, now, your mind is supposed to be wrestling with this. How is the kingdom of heaven like that? And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, and when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. And now my mind is supposed to be wrestling with what does that reveal to me about God's kingdom? What do I do with that word picture that my Lord gave me to teach me to understand the things, the hidden things of His kingdom? There's a revelation here. How many times did Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is like? And then He would do a word picture because He knew that you and I were going to need to be led into the truth By his word, that he was going to engage our minds and our intellects and draw us into the truth. So the first point I want to make is that these word pictures are revealing something about the kingdom of God that we need to know. The second point, the value of the discovery created joyful sacrifice. It says, in his joy, he went and sold all that he had. Now, if I was going to have to sell everything I had, I wouldn't be real joyful right now. I'd be a little stressed. Can I get a witness? I'd be stressed. I mean, I, I got to gather up everything I own and sell it, liquidate, get it, get all, amass as much cash as I can. Do, do I really have to do that? That's very stressful. For those of us who have have just a trace of hoardingness in us, you know. My wife accuses me once more of being a hoarder, though I'm not. I just like to keep my stuff. <laughs> and I found that the moment I get rid of something, I need it the next week. Right? So leave me alone. You see, without a revelation of the kingdom's value, we cannot joyfully sacrifice. Until God gives us a revelation of the value of His kingdom, we cannot joyfully sacrifice. When the kingdom of God comes along and says, I need you to make this sacrifice, we find it very difficult to do it joyfully. We might do it begrudgingly or we might do it with anxiety, but we have a very difficult time doing it joyfully. Now what if you or I had to spend $10,000 in the next seven days, and our life depended on it. What if we had to? You have to spend $10,000 in the next few days or you're going to get executed. What would you do? <laughs> sure, some of you would enjoy it. I can see that. You've got to spend $10,000 in... I don't know about you, but, you know, it, most of us don't have $10,000 sitting around in our bank account just waiting to be drawn on. And so you've got to find a way to get it, and you can't go to mom and dad. It's got to come out of your assets. It's got to come out of your resources. So you've got seven days to spend $10,000, and you need to do it joyfully. That's so how we get stressed. But you know how I would really enjoy spending $10,000? If someone said, thank you, I appreciate that, even though it was just sympathy. If they took me to a million-dollar home, led me through all the parts of it, took me back to the carport and said, Jeff, you and Vivian can have this house. It's worth a million dollars but you have to come up with $10,000 in the next week. You know what? I'd find a way to joyfully come up with $10,000 because what I would be getting would be so valuable I wouldn't even worry about the $10,000 I had to sell my kids to get. I'm going, here, take this, and I'll throw this one in. You know, okay, you know. <laughs> they're all three here, so I'm just picking on them. You know, they will be indentured servants from now on. You know, I, but I, I'd liquidate everything I could. i because a million dollar home for ten thousand dollars, you can't pass that up. And so, isn't that kind of what the Lord is saying about His kingdom? There are people who have such a revelation of the value of God's kingdom that they can joyfully give up everything for it. They have such a revelation. This is is so valuable. This is so incredibly important that they're going to give up everything they have. Let me read a passage to you. This one's not in your notes. Just, just listen. This is from Acts chapter five, I believe. They called the apostles in. This is in before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, and had them flogged. I don't know if you know what flogged means. They tie your hands together. They hang you up on a post. And then they take a whip that has 39 little tails to it. There's cutting instruments braided into it. And they beat you with it so that by the time they're done, often the the ribs in your back would be showing. So when he says, they called them in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, look, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. The apostles left that beating rejoicing that they were counted worthy of, of suffering for the name of Jesus. The only way in the world this happens if you have a revelation of the value of God's kingdom. That's the only way you, you leave there with the skin hanging off of your back saying, can you believe it? They beat us just the way they beat Jesus. We suffered just the way. Can you believe we have been counted worthy to suffer like Jesus did? Hallelujah! We cannot make the necessary sacrifices for God unless we receive a revelation of the value of God's, God's kingdom. Number three, the sacrifice required is total. Total. He joyfully gave up all he had. He sold everything, the scripture says. You see, the kingdom of God is not understood until and unless everything in life fails in comparison. The kingdom becomes everything and everything else becomes peripheral. When we get a revelation of the value of God's kingdom, everything else is so unvaluable in comparison to God's kingdom. Do you have anybody in heaven today? Do you? One of these days, you will wake up and a whole bunch of time has passed. And people that were absolutely instrumental in your life will no longer be around. They will have gone ahead. And you will get this, I don't know whether we would call it a haunting or a a sobering reality that life is real short, you know. You know, I remember when I was in my 30s, I was a whole lot more mature than 30-something are today. Did you you notice that? (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I was in my 30s, I thought I was an old man, you know. Now you look at people in their 30s and you go, wow, you're just a, a young feller. turn around about three times, and decades have passed, and you start to understand the value of the kingdom of God. You start to understand that eternity is a long, long, long time, and life is not that long. And you begin to understand and comprehend what is really important in life. Jesus was talking to the apostles about counting the cost, and this is another passage that didn't make it into your notes because I, I just added it a, a few hours ago. He was talking about counting the cost, and he says this in Luke chapter 14, 33, Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot, not should not. He said it's, it simply can't. So, biblically speaking, the kingdom of God is all or nothing. Now, you guys, uh, if you think, man, Pastor Jeff just went off the rails. I mean, he just lost his mind. He got radical and fanatical and all that. Then, okay, you know, pray for me and make me an appointment with a psychologist, you know. If you think that's where I belong. Or do you think possibly that the Bible actually teaches that? The Bible actually teaches that the kingdom of God is everything. And that whatever impositions in life we are asked to endure, it's not that big a deal. Amen? It's not that tough compared to the great value. Now, I want to give you a heads up. Uh, I'm going to go, this next part of the message, I'm going to go into a little bit of review. I don't want you to think I'm old and senile and forgot. Uh, but uh, I know that I talked to you about three weeks ago about this, but I want to return to that passage in Mark chapter 10, and I want to look at it. Back then I was talking about the morality of the kingdom of God and how greed had to be driven out, and you see there's some overlapping here. But Jesus tends to say to us, seems to say to us, that wealthy people are at a spiritual disadvantage. And since I'm talking to a bunch of wealthy people, I'm telling you that you have a disadvantage. You have a spiritual challenge. In fact, Jesus is going to say to us in a minute, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for you to get to heaven because you're wealthy. And some of you say, do you know my credit score? Uh, Do you understand my job? Well, I'm telling you something. I, 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 I do not fear contradiction. On global scales, everyone in this building is wealthy. If you don't believe me, go to Nicaragua for a week. Go to Haiti for a week. Go to Ecuador for anywhere and just look around. Everyone in this building qualifies as wealthy. Um, It's hard to believe that anybody is not filthy, stinking rich by global standards. Now, in America, there might be people across town who have a whole lot more than you, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people that have access to material things, people who don't just have their needs met. They've got a lot of luxury in their life, and that applies to every one of us. Some of you think you're poor if you can't afford the next greatest video game. (laughs) Well, that fell flat, didn't it? Some of you think you're poor if you can't buy a brand new car this month, or you're you're poor if you can't have a house that's got six bedrooms and five bathrooms. You think that's not poverty? That may be a little less luxury, but it's not poverty. Now, what we need to know is that spirit or wealthy people have a spiritual disadvantage. I am, by global standards, a very wealthy person, and you are too. And that means I stand in the position of spiritual disadvantage. The wealthy need a greater transformation of their valuations. A greater transformation of their valuations. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This knocked the disciples back. The disciples were amazed at his words. Now, why would... He says something like that because they're coming from an Old Testament theology. In the Old Testament, wealth was a sign of God's favor. God gave abundance to those who were faithful. You see, all these TV evangelists who are preaching wealth and prosperity, they're living in the Old Testament. That wealth or faith equals wealth. The poor have a much better uh, reputation in the New Testament. The disciples were amazed at this. In other words, it blows their mind. It blows their theology. It blows their doctrine. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it? How hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This is a weird word picture. Can you picture a camel we're not talking about a cigarette now, Ethel. <laughs> We're talking about the, the beast. Take note of that. Uh, here's why he said that: is There was a saying in biblical times, it would be easier to thread a needle with a rope. And the word for rope... Looks just like camel because rope was made out of camel's hair. So when you say it's easier to thread a needle with a rope, Jesus took it one step further and said it's easier, to forget the rope. Let's talk about the camel the rope came from. Let's just take the whole camel and <laughs> shove it through the eye of the needle. The camel, they don't like it when you do that either. It's very painful. I shared a couple of weeks ago with you, three weeks ago, my theory, but you want to hear it again, right? People are wealthy or poor in this culture like this, in a developed nation, in my opinion, and I've been doing family financial counseling for 30 years, uh, and I find that people are wealthy or poor not because of how much money they have access to. They are wealthy or poor because of their attitude toward money. You can take a wealthy person, take every dime away from them, put them out on the street, and in relatively short order, they will be wealthy again. They have the ability to bounce back because they know how wealth is accumulated. They know how to manage wealth. They know how to gain wealth. But you can take a poor person... And this is why the government makes such a mess of things when they go into places and dump massive amounts of money because more money into a bad stewardship just creates worse stewardship. Amen. And so you can take a person who is poor, give them a bunch of money, and they will not stay wealthy very long. It will get away from them. And remember I said last time, I can tell you whether you will be poor in the future or not by just answering one question. What did you do with your last major financial breakthrough? When you got that rather substantial amount of money in your hand, what did you do with it? When you filed your tax return and you got a big refund back, and the poor get, a lot of times, a massive refund back, what did you do with it? Some people run out, buy the next biggest video game, the next computer system, the next this, the next that. And a month later, they don't have any more than they had the month before they got it because they don't understand how to manage it and how to value it. And you can dump all kinds of money into that person. You will never, ever make them anything but poor because it's not a money issue. It's a stewardship issue. But some of us have learned that no one's going to back you up. Some of us have learned, if we can't make our bills, we're sunk. No one's going to make them for us. And so we become, in a glorified way, tightwads. We take every dollar, we stretch it as far as we can, we do anything... And for those of us who understand the value of money and know that no one's going to bail us out and back us up, we have an extra big challenge when the Lord comes along and says, do not overvalue money. We have to check ourselves and say, oh, that's right. I have been managing this money and stretching this money and hanging on to this money and doing what I can with this money, but now I have to understand, compared to God, this money is worthless. So we have to make a transition in our attitude and our valuation of money when it comes to the kingdom of God. And that's why I think it is more difficult for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God because we have a very difficult time making that transition from managing money well to releasing what we need to to obey God. Is this making sense? When you put money in contrast to the kingdom, the value of money should drop to zero. You know what? Everything in your conditioning contradicts that. We are conditioned to live for money. I mean, good lord. Some of you go to a job you hate and spend 40 plus hours a week in an environment you dread just because they'll pay you for it. Hello? Did that get you in a bad mood? <laughs> yeah. The value of money puts you in that. I personally think if if you hate your job, pray and ask God to give you a different one that you can like. You know, I I, I don't think He wants you miserable. You know, so. But we are conditioned to make money the center of our life. That's part of this uh, materialistic culture we live in. We make money. The, we, we do things for money. That we would never do for God. Oh my. We make sacrifices for money. That we would never make. For God. It's because we haven't received yet. A revelation of the value of God's kingdom. See. And so I I think he was. Talking to. All of us. When he said to his disciples, it's going to be hard for those people to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I'm glad that God can do that. He can shove a camel through the eye of the needle. The camel comes out okay on the other side. It's weird. The wealthy find it more difficult to joyfully release all they have the wealthy find it more difficult to joyfully release everything they have. Because they have not received a revelation of God's kingdom. The Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. My goodness, what kind of love is that? It's, it's God's love. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad. What a contrast. Remember the other guy? With joy went and sold all he had. This guy, his face drops. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What we possess in this world is not a problem. It's what this world possesses of us that becomes a problem. You may be very, very wealthy, even by American standards, and that's not a problem. The problem is when that wealth has you. Please tell me this is landing on you. I've always wondered why Jesus picked on this guy. He said he loved him, but he picked on this guy. And you remember, I mentioned this before again. I'm not saying now. I know this is review right here. Um, I think he looked at him and realized he loved money so much he could never love God till that was out of the way. And so he said, you've got to get rid of all of it and come and follow me. Because as long as it's in your life, that's going to be your God. But we joyfully release all we have to God. And whatever sacrifices that means, we joyfully do it. Now... You know, I don't know of anybody else that Jesus came up and said, go sell everything. It was this particular man in this situation and probably other people in similar situations. The Lord said, I've got to get you out of that environment of materialism. So I can believe that he could do that. Yeah. But I think the real application is that when he says, I have to give up everything, it means I have to devalue everything. Push it aside. Thirty-nine years ago this month, I st- stood alongside my bride in Floral, Arkansas. It's a wide place on the road if you ever go through there. And there was a vow that the pastor said, "Do you, Jeff?" Take Vivian to you, and he goes on to say, forsaking all others. Now, that vow didn't literally mean I could never talk to my mama again. It didn't mean I could never see my dad again, and I could never see any. What it meant was that I am turning my back on all other relationships compared to this one. This one will be the primary relationship going forward. Isn't that what Jesus is saying to us? Forsaking all others. It may mean you can keep your automobile. It may mean you can keep your house. But he says, compared to me, that should be worthless to you. Compared to me, that should not have your heart. I should be number one in your life. And nothing should ever compete with me in your life. You know how to speed a preacher up? Say amen. That'll get me moving right down the outline. Here's the good news God's power can conquer our hearts. Jesus looked at them and said, Remember, they're just knocked back. With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I know you guys have quoted that out of context your whole life. <laughs> all things are possible with God. All, what is the, all things are, what means that I can save rich people. I can transform people who have gotten money. The human heart can have its priorities rearranged. Every once in a while in my life, and unless Jesus just picks on me, it's you may have the same thing. And again, I'll admit I am frugal. Um, Not a tightwad. I hope the Lord has cultivated a a very generous spirit in me. But frugal, I I hate financial waste. I hate it. It makes me break out in hives, you know. I, I want things stewarded well. But God... Every once in a while in, in, in my life and the life of my wife and mine has laid it down and said, I want you to risk everything financially to follow me. I want you to step out in faith with absolutely no financial guarantees. And anytime time I've asked him for financial guarantees, he ignored those prayers. I mean, I don't know how many times I said, Lord, if you want me to go to Bible school, I, I need a place to stay. I need a good job. I need this. I'd go to campus. I'd go, well, Lord, where, it didn't happen. But when you just show up and go, God, I'm here. We're here. We've got kids. We've got, are you going to bail us out? And every little bit in our lives, the Lord has, has said, I want you to let go and fall into my provision. And he always caught us. But it was scary. It was scary. I remember the last time he did this, I couldn't keep any food down. You can tell that hasn't happened lately. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) For me, success was keeping half a peanut butter sandwich down just so I wouldn't pass out. I remember standing at that point of making this decision just... Leaving the church we were at, moving to a place without a job, and at that time we were renting an apartment in Springfield where our kids, our girls were going to school and and so paying for that and and then all of a sudden, having no financial support, and you're standing there going, "God, we are sunk if you don't show up." And guess what? He showed up. It begins let me give you a little outline real quickly, and then I'll quit. It begins with inspection, it continues with reflection, and then it goes on to projection. Isn't that cute? (laughs) I'm part Jesse Jackson. Let's talk about the inspection for a second. This is where I stand in the presence of God and I sincerely ask him, God is money too important to me? Is money too important to me? Am I going to live for it or am I going to live for you? It's an inspection. And sometimes, because money is a spiritual force, it's not just a neutral medium of exchange, it's a spiritual force. Sometimes I have to say, Lord, money's getting too important to me. Please put it back in its place. Devalue it in my mind, devalue it in my hand. I need an inspection. Secondly, I need reflection. You can say all day long that God's more important than money, but what does your past say? What does your past say? Has God come ahead of money in your past? Have you honored God with your money in the past? Because the most reliable indication of the future is your past. Now, God can change you and needs to change you if, if it need be, but what you've been doing, you're already set on a track to keep doing unless you do something massive in changing it. So do some reflection. And when I look back, I say, Lord, how important is money to me? I, I know. I, I'm desperate to be a good student. And then I start thinking, well, yeah, when God came to me and said, I want you to make this risk, I said, yes, it scared me to death. And so every time in my life where I can say I had to choose between financial security and obedience, I chose obedience. So the inspection comes back. All right. Yeah, I think God has got me where he needs me in that particular area. What about you? What about you? Don't kid yourself. The Bible says that money is deceitful. And you can say it's not that important, but it can easily become the driving force in your life. Notice Jesus didn't say, go sell everything you have and come and give it to me and follow me. He didn't say that. He wasn't like the TV preachers. He said, go sell everything you have, give it to whoever you can find that might need it, and come and follow. It wasn't a fundraiser. It was a life-raiser. See? Sometimes I... I've got to sit down and, and write out a check I'm, I'm not comfortable with just because God says, I want you to help that person. Well, I tied. Yeah, well, th- this is not about that. This is you and your heart being willing to let go for the benefit of someone else. So it's a reflection. Third, or, yeah, thirdly, it's projection. You are projecting yourself into the future. Unless you do something radical, next week will be like last week, and 2019 will be like 2018 with just some specific variations, but you'll still be you and things will still be going the way they're going. Again, pardon me for the review, but while we're reviewing, let's just review. I always wondered, this was not a parable, this last story, it was an event. Jesus looked at a man and said, get rid of that wealth and come and follow me. He said that because he loved him. The man could not because money meant more to him than Jesus did what if he had said yes instead of 12 apostles there would have been 13 (laughs) or maybe he had kicked one of those other ones out i don't know but he said come and be a part of my group i've always and this is all absolute conjecture i can't prove it for anything but i'm just saying what if he i do know jesus said Get rid of all that stuff and come and follow me. Be like Peter, James, and John. They turned their back on everything and followed me. Gave up a very successful fishing business and came and followed me. What about you? Will you follow me? There could likely be a book in the New Testament that that guy had written. And you and I would be studying his writings and we'd be going, Wow, look at this guy. He had great wealth and he gave it all up and he followed Jesus and the Holy Spirit used But today, we don't even know his name. He was a rich young ruler. Now he's nobody. He's nobody. My legacy is not in my money my legacy is in my obedience to my master. I'm going to tell you, friends, every day that you live, money is going to rise up and say, follow me. And it's going to lure you with all kinds of stuff. And you today will either turn that on its head and realize compared to God's kingdom money has no value in the world I have to have it the utility company won't just let me pray for them I have to pay them right the, the bank won't just let me say I'll pray for all you guys no mortgage payment coming today no they, they say "No, no pray for us but go ahead and give us the payment too So we have to have money. We have to operate in money. It's kind of like that viper that you can't get out of your house. You just have to watch for it. Make sure you're not sitting on it. i got to quit, don't I? The value of the kingdom. The value of the kingdom. Either the kingdom is everything or the kingdom is nothing. It's all or nothing. That's what Jesus said. Isn't that what he said right here? It's like the guy who's about to buy a piece of property. He doesn't have enough money. It's way more than he can afford. He can't even borrow enough to buy it. But then he notices, wow, look at that. Over there in that little cave. He looks in, and it's full of gold. Gold coins, gold bars. He covers it back up (laughs) and says, I'll be back tomorrow with the money somehow. Somehow, and he sold everything and bought that field because he knew there was gold in that field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. I appeal to you in the name of Jesus, don't be a spectator. Will you drop into church once in a while and you get a fix on your worship music and we give you a little sermonette so you can be a good Christianette. And never get out of your bassinet. <laughs> what else can I say? You know, I'm out of ets. Be someone who has put the kingdom of God and valued it absolutely above everything. All right, let's stand together. I kind of have a feeling in my heart that maybe what we really do is say a prayer of repentance. Jesus, I'm sorry. I have not valued your kingdom correctly. I have not placed it in a position where everything else in my life fades. Compared. I'm sorry my last day on earth all the wealth I've amassed will mean nothing my last day on earth my house my cars my treasures will mean nothing Lord help me live in that reality now that the only thing that is eternal is your kingdom I be a faithful subject of your kingdom. May I walk in obedience to the King. Father, help us. There, There is this intense pressure to serve the dollar, to make it everything, to pursue it, to sacrifice for it, to compromise to get it. Please, Father, Awaken our spirits to the corruption that that brings. And bring us, Lord, into a deeper appreciation and valuation of your kingdom. Help us, Jesus, to live in the reality of what you are worth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Father, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, I'm asking you to give them the faith right now to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord. And in so doing, their name is being written in your book and they are becoming a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless. If you receive Christ today, please let us know so we can help you get started. See you back next week.